0: Do something a little different today because we didn't have scripture reading uh, today or last week and part of that was because the uh, scripture passage we're going over is is a little short. But uh, I'd ask you all to rise today and we'll just read Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 and if you have uh, your Bibles here you can Read together with me in whatever version you have. I'm using the ESV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can all be seated. So... I am very excited to be in the book of Philippians. It is a book that uh, has a different tone than uh, many of the other books and particularly some of the other epistles that Paul has written because the Philippian church in particular was in certain respects doing quite well. Uh, What they were not doing well in, was in earthly prosperity or wealth. Uh, They were probably one of the poorest of the early churches. They were also not one of the largest churches. Um, It had been a church that was founded when uh, Paul met um, a dealer in purple, a woman whose household he stayed at. And the church was established there alongside a jailer who had Imprisoned Paul, uh, but who had been converted as God had uh, performed a miracle there. Uh, As we come to the book of Philippians, because we're fairly new here also, um, one of the things that we've been doing is we've been giving away copies of the book that we have been studying. And uh, since we finished John, uh, we had a brief interlude in Luke, but now we're in Philippians. If any of you does not have a short uh or one of these little copies of philippians um we have copies i think at that back table over there and i welcome you to pick one of those up so that you can follow along with us and if you're visiting we'd love for you to have that uh mike shaw's got them there in the back just pop back there and, and he can give one back to you uh, let's turn to the lord in prayer father god we thank you for establishing your church And Lord, I thank you for the great and precious truths that are in your word, which were also reflected by the hymns that we sang this morning. And Lord, we rejoice that you have caused these things to be true. So that while we still struggle as we live on this earth, and as especially as we Perhaps as we grow closer to you, your light more clearly shows all the ways in which we fall short. The sinfulness, the pettiness that is in my heart that becomes more and more clearly revealed the closer I draw to your light. But Lord, we also yet know all these things that you have promised shall be accomplished. And just as we read this morning, We are saints in Christ Jesus. And what a great and precious assurance that is. Help us this morning to explore your word, to see its truth, that we might live in the light of what you have given us. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we looked at uh, the kind of an introduction to the book of Philippians, uh, who the Philippians were, why the book of Philippians can be so helpful to us. And we also especially looked at the aspect of being servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. And um, what we have uh, in our ESVs is probably uh, the gentlest translation of the word doulos, uh, the idea of servants or bond servants, or being slaves. And we explored a little bit of that master-slave relationship. And we'll continue looking a little bit at that this week because our relationship with God is, like many relationships, complicated. (laughs) And even though our relationships here on Earth with one another can be very complicated, our relationship with God is more complicated still. In fact, it goes beyond being complicated to being transcendent. And and what does it mean that our relationship with God is transcendent? Well, one aspect of that is that the relationship that you have with God is unlike any other that you can have in this world. And so for that reason, it's described for us in so many ways. And we have to pay attention to the nuances because these nuances constantly are developed, transformed, and changed. And so one aspect of that is right here at the beginning of the book of Philippians. And Paul calls himself a servant or a slave. But what was the last book we were in? We were in the book of John. And do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples at one point? In the book of John, and in chapter 15, he says, I no longer call you what? No longer call you servants or slaves. It's the same word, but I call you friends. Why is it that he would call us friends and say that he no longer calls us servants or slaves, but then Paul... When he begins this letter to the philippians at a much later time is it is it that okay you know the disciples of jesus they walked with him and so you know kind of being that inner circle with him they're friends but we along with paul because paul you know maybe didn't spend that time with jesus that the other apostles did he's a slave along with the rest of us well we have to pay attention to context And not just assume that the same word will have the same meaning no longer, uh, no matter where we find it. Now, in John 15, Jesus says this greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And so there, Jesus was showing us one aspect of his relationship with us. Why is it that he goes to the cross? Why is it that he lays down his life for us? And he says this greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so the purpose for which Christ goes to the cross is because he loves you and I. And in loving us, we are also his friends. He cares for us. And so there's this aspect of our relationship with Jesus Christ, that he loves us and he cares for us, and he wants us to respond in a like way to him. And so he then says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servant, for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. And so now you see another aspect of this. Because here, friendship has a particular dimension, which is that Christ has told us his plan, what he is doing. And so in this respect, we are his friends. And in terms of how we then respond to him, there's a dimension of this love, this friendship, because we don't serve God out of merely a sense of responsibility or duty, but it is also joyful. Just as when we really care for someone, when we're invested in their success. Think about, you know, (laughs) uh, coaches sometimes have, have trouble with a particular class of people the parents of the children that they're coaching, right? Because the parents are there and they're just rooting so hard for their children to succeed. And they're very invested in seeing their children prosper and do well. And that's because there's this kind of love for them. And in like manner, why is it that Jesus tells us what he and his father are doing? Because he loves us we are his friends and as we strive to obey him our duty our responsibility what we uh, what we carry out is more so than simply as a servant who just does what his master tells him but we're invested in seeing god's name glorified his name honored his person exalted and so when you have that kind of relationship the more we know about the purposes of God, we're not simply carrying out mechanically a duty, but our whole lives are engaged in it, and we desire to see the successful accomplishment of God's plan. But we see that even there, that friends has a particular flavor to it, and again, here's another part of our relationship with God, because uh, if you're my friend. I don't think that this will be my relationship with you. What Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. That would be perhaps good for me, but I don't know how many of you would want to be my friend on those terms. But in terms of being a servant or a slave, we see there that Jesus wants to distinguish our relationship with him On that basis, we do not serve God out of a mere sense of obligation, but because we delight in seeing his will accomplished and his name exalted. But when it comes to the relationship with God that Paul wants to explore here in Philippians, now slavery, being a servant, is appropriate. And there's a flavor to being a douloi of Jesu Christu that is appropriate to this passage. And so Paul calls himself and Timothy slaves of Christ Jesus. And we looked a little bit last week at why slavery in this sense, in our relationship with Christ Jesus, is different than that of the world. And we might remember a few things. One thing is that when we consider the Apostle Paul, can you think of anyone in the history of the church who has a more exalted place than Paul? Someone who was called to be an apostle, who Christ revealed himself to on the road to Damascus. One who wrote more books of the New Testament than any other author. And so in terms of honor, in terms of position, I don't think that we could find anyone who would be more exalted than Paul. But the kingdom of God reverses many of our expectations, including those expectations and those things that go along with being someone who is in authority, a king, a ruler, or someone who has a place of high office. Because in the kingdom of God, God ordains that authority and power be used for the blessing and benefit of those under authority. And so God as the highest authority pours himself out, serves and sacrifices for his people. And as God has honored each of you with talents and abilities, You and I are to use them for the benefit of those around us in the church. Um, And one of the ways we see this and the way that God has purposed us to be a body, administration. How many of you are really good at administration? Raise your hand. Rats. (laughs) Rats. Okay, someone here didn't raise his hand, but there is a certain person here who is very good at uh, administering things and keeping things running well. It's not me. I was hoping more of you would raise your hand so he could have some help. But uh, (laughs) God doesn't gift us all in the same way, but he makes us a body and he gives us different gifts, different abilities, different talents. And we are to use those things In the way of the kingdom of heaven, not to honor, exalt, and glorify ourselves, but to raise up the name of Christ and to bless one another. And so being slaves of Christ Jesus is far different than being a slave to an earthly master. Uh, Another aspect in which it's different, uh, at the beginning stages of this pandemic, and so many of you remember when Irene and I first came to PCC, we were still... Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic living in Chicago. And as the pandemic got worse and people were starting to say, we really need to flatten this curve, the pandemic is getting out of control. And I don't remember if you saw initially, like we were seeing in so many places in the world now, those pictures coming out of New York with people lining the hallways of the hospitals and people were starting to get very concerned. And so Chicago went to a lockdown. And what the mayor of Chicago said was, We need everyone to stay inside. Do not go out except for absolutely essential activities. And one particular activity was, she said, getting your roots done is not essential. A week later, pictures started to emerge (laughs) of the same mayor uh, at the hair salon with no social distancing and no masks. And so people then questioned her about that particular statement that she made, and uh, especially about the comment about roots being done not being essential. The mayor countered I'm the public face of the city. I'm on national media and I'm out in the public eye. I'm a person who I take my personal hygiene very seriously. As I said, I felt like I needed to have a haircut. I'm not able to do that myself, so I got a haircut. You want to talk more about that? Okay. (laughs) There's a distinction here, I think, in terms of how authority in this world is used and authority in the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you something that's not different. What's not different is that you'll find that many of your Christian leaders, leaders in this church, are not perfect. In fact, every time I preach a sermon, I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm asking all of you, do as I say, not as I do. And that's because at the heart of Christianity, we recognize that we're sinners and we're in this process of being sanctified. But what is different is that authority and power in the church is not or does not convey the ability to flout the law of God, but brings additional responsibility for submission to God. Those who are in authority and leaders of the church should better understand the need for repentance, better and more wholeheartedly acknowledge the goodness of the law of God. And so here is where we see this aspect of what Paul or why Paul calls himself and Timothy slaves or servants of Christ Jesus. Because Paul, as an apostle of the church of God, and Timothy, another leader alongside him, is most compelled, to obedience and submission to God. And that is the place of the slave. The slave does not determine the priority or the goals, but rather the slave obeys and is interested and obeys the priorities and the goals of his master. And so one of the things that we're doing in our church, uh, in our church council is we are going through this book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And one of the things that this book strives to do is to develop from the scriptures, what are the distinctive things that God has given us to understand about his church? What, according to the scriptures, should PCC be like? What are the areas in which we perhaps most need to grow, most need to repent, in order that we can be the kind of church that God has intended? And the very first mark of this book, and I think being foundational to being a biblical church, is expository preaching. And that basically has a sense of preaching that flows out of the word of God, where you can see how the sermon and what is taught is directly connected to the word of God and is under the authority of of the word of God. Now, why is this important? Well, who gets to say what PCC should be like? Uh, I would imagine that most of you would agree with me that as far as the teaching in this church, we really don't want to become the first church of Hans. But what protects us from that? What keeps me from imposing my ideas of what I would like this church to be like apart from what scripture says? And that is the ultimate authority of this book. If we hold to the faithful preaching of God's word, what that means is is that if I say something at this pulpit and you're saying, I have no idea how you are connecting that to the word of God, that I had better be able to explain to you because not only should my ideas be biblical, but I want you to see that I am not the authority of this church, but rather it is this word of God and that what we teach and what we're striving to become as a church is directly connected to God's teaching and God's instruction. The word of God, is an essential protection for this church against personal agendas. It constrains us from going off into our own ideas. And on the other hand, it establishes a common ground where we all know the foundation for which, or upon which we are establishing this church. And what this also enforces upon all of us that is also reflected by this idea of Paul calling himself a slave of Christ is an attitude of humility. Each one of us is a person under the authority of God. As you have received Christ as your Savior, you have also received him as your Lord. A Christian is someone who acknowledges that God's ideas and his thoughts are far better than our own. A Christian is someone who understands that they're a sinner and many of their thoughts and desires and ideas are rooted in that sinful nature and that we are far from having conformed ourselves entirely into the image of Christ. And so we must always be ready to understand and see where our ideas and thoughts and desires fall short of what God would give us. Christians are people who submit to the wisdom of God. Which makes the next clause kind of an interesting one. Because Paul says here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And so here's something kind of intriguing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you... Again, raise your hand. I did not get a very good response for the first question. I hope I get a lot more hands for the second one. But how many of you have thought this in your head? Pastor Hans. What a saint. How holy he is. I think we should call him St. Hans instead of Pastor Hans. (laughs) Raise your hands. (laughs) Oh, yes! (laughs) OK, he's wrong. <laughs> and he knows he's wrong. He's doing that as a joke. Uh, well I'll tell you, some people did not raise their hands. You see those two folks in the back there, my parents. <laughs> they know. Irene over here, my wife, she's with me. Oh my, they, she knows. And those four boys, they know. I am not a saint. I've given them plenty of evidence to know that I'm not a saint. And yet... Is there a sense in which I am a saint? Paul here writes, "To the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons." Hebrews 10:10 says this: "And by that will we have been sanctified or made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so you see that important phrase, to the saints in Christ Jesus. You who have received Jesus Christ are part of a body. And one of the things that we did recently and which we heard Michael Granati give his testimony uh, last week about was his baptism. And baptism is that visual depiction of something that we see to be a spiritual reality that when Mike Renati was baptized, he was baptized into Christ and Christ is holy. And so as part of that body joined together in Jesus Christ so that when Jesus died on that cross, there is a sense in which Jesus is dying for his sin. Because Christ has been joined together with me And so my sin is his and so when he died on the cross that sin was also atoned for and i was made holy i was made a saint and so as much as none of you raised your hand to call me saint hans actually if you're sitting with someone who's a fellow christian you can turn julie could turn to elder gordon there elder gordon could turn back to julie saint gordon saint julie we're all saints in Christ Jesus. But one of the things we've talked about in the past is an illocution. Does anybody remember what an elocution is? It's, it's not the actual, the locution is the expression of the words. But the elocution is the truth or the idea that is expressed in the act or the giving of those words. And so here in the book of Philippians, we have a book of Philippians or we have an epistle, a letter to the Philippians. And what does the very existence of this letter show? Paul, in this letter, is going to give many instructions to the Philippians. Why? Because they're still sinners. They still need to grow. They still need to repent. They still need to walk in that path of sanctification. And so there's one sense in which each one of us is a saint already by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ. And there is another sense in which each one of us is still struggling with sin. And let me tell you, I am sure that I am much farther on that road of sanctification than I was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And yet today, I see my sin all the more clearly. And I see the ugliness of who I am. And I'm brought far lower when I see who I am in Christ Jesus because I see the awfulness of my sin. But the great comfort is that I also see at the same time my righteousness in Christ Jesus. And the more clearly you see your sin, many of you have come to that place where you've been broken by seeing the depth of your own fallenness, how far short you fall of God, how grievous your sin is to him. Some of you may have yet to experience that. And here's something to hold on to. When you come to that place, when you see the ugliness of your sin, you think, how can God love me, this kind of sinner? You see that you are a saint. United with Christ, fully acceptable to God. And so then, if we're already saints, but we're still striving to be saints, how do we know exactly where we are? Maybe we're not really saints. Um, you know, we all know that praying a sinner's prayer doesn't automatically make us a Christian, right? Because someone can simply say those words and not really have repentance in their hearts. Um, This book is by Jerry Bridges. It's the best book that I have found on that process of sanctification. And I think that tension where we're not sanctified and yet we're in that process is really captured well uh, uh, in this quotation from his book, only one who has a strong desire to be holy, will ever persevere in the painfully slow and difficult task of pursuing holiness. There are too many failures. I really appreciate that in my life. When you failed and you failed and you failed, knowing that that walk will be full of failure, but seeing also this hope, there are too many failures The habits of our old nature and the attacks of Satan are too strong for us to persevere unless the Holy Spirit is at work in us to create a desire for holiness. The Holy Spirit creates this desire not only by showing us our sins, but also by showing us God's standard of holiness. He does this through the scriptures. As we read and study the scriptures or hear them taught, we are captivated by the moral beauty of God's standard of holiness. Even though his standards may seem far beyond us, we recognize and respond to that which is holy, righteous, and good, Romans 7.12. Even though we fail so often, in our inner being, we delight in God's law, Romans 7.22. And so how we know we're saints is not that we've stopped, ceased from sin, But we see the awfulness of our sin. We know how good God is. We see how far short we've fallen. And we desire to repent and to please God. And so in this process, we'll close with just this thought. We see Paul highlight two groups of people in writing to these saints who are at Philippi. And noting that these are saints at Philippi that he is writing to, we see here that there is a role for the local church. There is a way in which we can support one another as a body that we cannot support, even though we may pray for and love saints who are suffering, perhaps in Myanmar. But as a body, as a gathered body within this church, in this place, we have a particular responsibility to one another. And that responsibility is captured by these two offices, that of the overseer and that of the deacon. And one of the things we see here is that we are not meant to walk on this path of sanctification alone. And I hope that is really good news for those of you who, we know that through the pandemic, there have been just so many incredible struggles with sin. And I don't find that to be surprising. Because we aren't meant to struggle to be sanctified, to be holy by ourselves. And in the course of this pandemic, when we experienced much less fellowship, because we are not able to even just gather together physically, even though we still remained as a church, that physical separation really harmed us as a group of people in this walk towards sanctification. One of the articles I just read uh, showed that in this during this time of the pandemic, And I found it very interesting because they said there's one particular ethnic group that's particularly susceptible to this sin, online gambling. Asians, and actually I've had some experience with this myself, some of my friends, um, really struggle with gambling. But who we are as a people, who we are as a church, is a group of people who are called together to struggle against sin. And we have first the overseer who is someone who watches over the church and this is someone who has that responsibility of striving to guide the people of god who looks out and 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 examines the kind of teaching and instructs them in the way that they should go and then we have another group here who are the deacons and those are the ones who Uh, We we have this idea of deacons because we have deacons in our church, and we see them oftentimes as these people who hold authority in the church, and that's not actually wrong in our church. But originally, do you remember how deacons were first called? It was a case where the apostles were serving the people by waiting tables. And apparently there were enough tables to wait on that that was what they spent their time doing, and they weren't teaching. (laughs) And so what the early church did was they called deacons. And the primary responsibility of these deacons was simply to serve the church. And that's one thing that this church needs. How will we grow and be made holy as a church? One of the ways is that we will need people who will love the people of this church, who take on and visibly show this attitude that Paul evokes when he calls himself a servant or a slave because as we see people serving the church we see also the kind of attitude that we have we have an example set before us of those who are serving the church and as a group then we're able to better help one another we can see warning signs of things that are dangerous or ways that we need to grow as a church John O'Neill, many of you probably don't know that name, he was an FBI agent. And in the 90s and the early 2000s, he was actively investigating a particular terrorist group called Al-Qaeda, which all of you probably today would know about, but at that time, and for those of you who are paying attention at that time, you wouldn't have heard of that much of Al-Qaeda. And he was looking at the links between the state sponsors of terrorism in Yemen and Saudi Arabia and these Al-Qaeda operators. And he started doing something in the late 90s and early 2000s, which was he started sending warnings to his superiors saying, we better watch out. They're gonna try to attack the West. And partly because he kept sending these warnings and he made predictions which were pretty accurate but annoying to his superiors, he was pushed out of the FBI. Ironically, he took a job as head of security at the World Trade Center buildings. <laughs> and a friend at that time told him, oh, you've taken the right job because they've attacked those buildings in the past. And so, you know, kind of like the lightning striking twice and, you know, like that's probably safe because they've already attacked the World Trade Center. Uh, and his response is, no, I think they're coming to finish the job. If people had paid attention to those warning signs if they had listened and striven to respond to the kind of threats that uh, paul o'neill or john o'neill had given things might have looked a lot different and so there's a pbs documentary about him you could probably find it called the man who knew and yet we see that his warnings were ignored and 9 11 and all the subsequent events happen what are we going to be like as a church god has brought each person here and those who are part of this church to serve a particular purpose every one of us has a role to play in service in leadership in teaching so many of you have served in teaching our young people and we're looking for uh, Sunday school teachers for our youth right now. Servants of the church. We have deacons who give enormous amounts of their time. We have people who visit those who fall sick or need help. What is your role? If each one of us does as we ought to within this church, then according to God's design for the church, we'll flourish. Now, we don't know what that looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll grow as a church, it doesn't mean that we'll have like this prosperous ministry, but we will be a church in which people are progressing towards sanctification, we will be a church where people are increasingly like Christ and growing into his image. But that's not an individual decision or an individual act, but something that we do together. And so Paul, when he writes to this group of people, as we get into the book of Philippians, we'll see that there'll be many things that he will urge the Philippians to do. But one other thing that we will see him do is he will urge them to do this together as a community. And so that's my challenge to us this morning. Find your role in this church. How are you meant to strengthen the ministries in this body? And how are you striving to holiness in your own life and allowing this church to spur you on in that walk so that this church plays an integral part in your own journey to Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for equipping the church and giving us the Holy Spirit And we know that through the Spirit, you've given each person who has trusted in your Son, Jesus Christ, a unique role to play in who we are as a church. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church both equip and strengthen our members so that they, in turn, might contribute their gifts, their talents, their abilities to this church. And that as we grow together as a church, we will better reflect the totality of who Jesus Christ is to this community in Pittsburgh. That in who we are as a church, your name would be exalted. Your son would be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.